Welcome to Paragon Church's podcast. You're listening to the final week of A Christmas Carol. For more information about Paragon Church, visit us at paragonchurch.com. We have arrived at our last week of our Christmas Carol sermon series. And as we're in our last week, we are today also at Christmas Adam. The reason why we call it Christmas Adam is because it's the day before Christmas Eve. So we are glad you're here with us today. I know some of you got that. Good, good, good. The brains are working today. It's all good with that. But um, as we are here today, um, I can't believe the Christmas season is almost done. I mean, when you stop and think about it, it seems like it was just Thanksgiving, but yet the Christmas season is almost done. And every year I say it, I can't believe that we are this close to 2019, eight days away from a brand new year. But before we jump into ahead jumping into hyperspace, jumping into moving forward, looking at the next year, I I want to ask you a question today. This question is one that I'm going to give you a second to think about, but this is a question that that was asked recently in a poll, and we're going to go over some of the statistics from that poll. But what is your favorite part of the Christmas season? What is your favorite part of the Christmas season? You know, I mean, Christmas is a time for colored lights, Christmas time is, is about candles. Christmas time is about sitting around with family. Christmas time is about Santa Claus. Christmas time is about gifts. There's so many different things. So just out of curiosity, asking you this morning, I'm okay with you answering and shoot your hand up, what is your favorite part about the Christmas season? No school. And that even comes from a parent. So that's okay to say, you know. So no school. What else? No work. I don't, know, I don't know if that's a favorite part or not. What else? Watching the grandkids open gifts. All the decorations. You know, it's interesting because the Christmas season, it's a month long. And when you really stop and think about it, you think about there's not another holiday that gets that kind of attention. Maybe 4th of July because they start selling fireworks a little bit earlier. But doesn't get the, the attention with the music and the, and the malls and all of the things that start to take place. But here, when somebody was asked, they did a, a Pew Research study on what people's favorite part of the Christmas season was. 68% said spending time with family and friends. That, that was their favorite part. 11% mentioned religious services or some sort of religious reflection. Uh, 11% said they look forward to Christmas spirit and the joy and goodwill that come from people's lives. Uh, 5% said music, decorations, and shopping, and 4% said they look forward to the Christmas season being over. So, um, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm probably uh, falling that 4% in sort of a half and half sort of way because I do look forward to being over, but at the same time, I get really sad on December 26th. Um, the thing here is what they dislike about Christmas, too, came out in that study. said commercialism and materialism. 22% said the money and the expense. 10% said the shopping and the crowds. 5% said the hectic pace and bad moods of people, which is funny because half also said they liked good moods about people. And then 2% said the pressure to go to church. Didn't know you guys were pressured. I apologize if I've ever pressured you into that, if you fall into that 2%. But, you know, Christmas, like I said, is a unique time of year. There is no other time of year that we devote an entire month to a holiday. But here is what happens. When it gets here, I remember being a kid, and I still kind of feel this way. I get all excited, all excited. You're you're prepping for it for a whole month, and then 24 hours later, it's done. And you're kind of like, oh, man, all that hype really wasn't that great. 
You know, even if you got what you wanted, all of that hype, it really wasn't that great. But as a, as a pastor, for me, it's, it literally is bittersweet because I love having the decorations. I love all the things that go along with it. And I also love getting back to a normal routine, getting back to, to our regular, that what we do. And, you know, the thing about Christmas is this. For many people, that month that leads up to it, it changes their month. It changes, it, it, it does bring out that spirit of Christmas. It does bring out that joy and that goodwill. But does it do much beyond that? Does it, does it change their life? Does it change their world? I mean, it changes them for a month, but then they just get back into a regular routine. And we've been going through a Christmas carol, and we've already talked about the past and the present and the future of Scrooge and the, the spirits that had visited him. But today what I want to look at is him waking up on that Christmas morning. Him waking up on that Christmas morning, and what I want to do is I want to take a look and see as he wakes up, he doesn't know exactly where he is. He doesn't know what day it is because he goes over to the window and he yells down to a little boy and says, hey, what day is it? And it's Christmas Day. And this is his response to it all as he wakes up in the first place. He says, I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. A Merry Christmas to every, everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. Hello here. Whoop. Hello. And I'm not sure what that even means, but that's what it said. Because Chris is like, you're not actually going to say that, are you? And I'm like, it says it in the, in the thing, so I have to, have to read it for that. And she's like, just don't go, whoop, hello. Don't do that. So I just did it for you anyway. But the reality is, the reality is he has had a changed personality. He wakes up. He yells out to that boy. That boy says, it's Christmas Day. He's like, I haven't missed it. And as he does, he yells to the boy, he says, hey, is that big, huge prize turkey down at the butcher? Is it still down there? Yeah, well, go buy it. And, of course, this kid's like, I know you. I know who you are. I'm not going to go. You're pulling my leg. Something's going on here. Something's wrong. And he says, uh, go buy it. I'll be one to pay for it. It's so big, he can't carry it to where the Cratchits live at. So he actually hires a cab to take this turkey over to the Cratchits' house. He's had this changed life, this changed day. He wakes up after seeing his past, after seeing his present, after seeing his future, and he's changed. But the, here's the really cool thing. On the 26th, the next day when he told Bob Cratchit to be there, Bob Cratchit shows up 16 minutes late. And he has this face of, you know what, I'm going to be angry, I'm going to play this all up, why are you late, uh, grumble, 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 and then he gives him a raise. And Bob Cratchit's like, wait, what? And he says, hey, by the way, here's some money. Go buy some coal. Because the whole story is he's not even good enough to buy coal. That his fingers are frozen as he's dotting the I's and crossing the T's and all of that. And it's really kind of a cool thing to see. But here's the reality. It didn't just change his day, Christmas. Christmas didn't just change his month. Because we see what happens next. It says, Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good of a friend, as good a master, and as good a man, as good as the old city knew in any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. He changed. Christmas changed him. And I look at that and I think in our lives, how does Christmas change our world? And I'm not just talking about the, the general world. I'm talking about our world. How does Christmas change us? How does Christmas change the way we are? See, because what we're going to do today is we're going to uh, probably leave church and we're going to maybe spend time with family. Maybe we're going to be driving to go see family. Maybe we're going to have family coming in. Whatever the case might be, we're going to begin the Christmas process or if you already haven't begun it. And then on the 26th, what's going to happen? 
What's going to happen on the 26th of December? How is Christmas going to change your December 26th? How is it going to change your January 26th and your February 26th and even your July 26th? How is it going to change that? How is it going to impact your life? Will we be happier because of Christmas? Will we be happier and have more joy because of Christmas? Will we be a better person because of it? I mean, I think those are real questions we have to ask ourselves. Those are real questions we have to look at and say, can Christmas really change us? Because I see a lot of people, and maybe you're one of those people, that Christmas isn't going to change you other than your bank account. It might make you just a day older and deeper in debt. You know, that whole 16 tons thing. And that's the, the reality of our lives. With Christmas, we spend a whole month getting ready for it, but what is it doing? And I began to look at that, and I began to think about how does it change our world? Because I don't think that the celebration of Christmas changes our world really all that much. Even as believers, it doesn't change our world all that much. Because when we look at it, when we look at it, how does it have that drastic impact? I mean, this is the American holiday. It's the one that we give all the time to, all the effort to. We want snow, and we want mistletoe, and we want presents under the tree. We'll sing the songs. We want Santa. We want Christmas music. We want, we want the movies. We want the family and the friends to sit around the little fireplace, and everybody's smiling, drinking apple cider, and, and talking about Christmases of old, you know, like the movies do. That doesn't ever happen, by the way. But that's what we want. We see that. But here's the reality, and the, with the shopping, and the parties, and the busyness that we cram into this season, what's it do for us? How does it change us? Because when everything is said, and everything is done, the only real change to our world is we're a little bit poorer, and we're a lot more tired. I mean, the song, what is it, uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Isn't it in the middle of it, they say, and mom and dad can't wait for school to start again? We're there, and it's only been three days. I mean, that is the, the reality that we have. It's like, let's just get through this. But we do it for what? I mean, did you know that God doesn't even call us to commemorate or remember the birth of Christ? I looked throughout Scripture. I couldn't find a time where it said, this is what you have to remember. You know what he tells us to remember? What we're going to do next week when we take communion together. It says, remember the death and the burial and the resurrection. Remember that. But he doesn't say remember Christmas. Christmas is our thing. It's not a bad thing, but it's our thing. It's something that, that we have taken hold of, and, and you know, it should be something, though, that, that begins to change us because the purpose of the birth of Christ and the purpose of Christmas that we do celebrate is the fact that Jesus came. It's not the holiday itself. It's the fact that God stepped down into heaven and became a man. And that is what we need to remember. That should change our world. That should change everything about us. I mean, when we look at our life on a day-to-day -day basis, when we look at our jobs, when we look at school, when we look at the interactions we have with people, all of those things should change because of Christmas. Not because we celebrate Christmas, but because of Christmas and what we celebrate on that day. See, we're not transformed because of the celebration. We're transformed because of what we celebrate or who we celebrate. I want you to do me a favor, and if you have your Bibles with you, go to Luke chapter 2 for me. We're just going to read four simple verses here out of Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 10 and going through verse 14. And so this is what it says. It's, it's when the angel appears to the shepherd, and the shepherds are afraid, and this is what the angel says in verse 10 of Luke chapter 2. 
But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David was born for you a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Do you hear what the angel said? I mean, this is a very common red verse. Every Christmas time we read this. This is something we see. This is something that, that you hear in the Charlie Brown Christmas car- uh, story. All of the things. We hear this verse. But do you hear what he says? I am bringing you good news. And because I am bringing you good news, here are some things you need to have. Great joy. You need to have peace. Don't be afraid. Have peace because the Savior has been born in this world. But when we think about Christmas, are these the things that we think about? Do we think about good news and great joy and don't be afraid and having peace? You know, I don't see those going hand in hand with the commercialism and materialism that has wrapped Christmas up. That has taken it in. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at this and say, it may not be this way, but it should be. And most certainly, it can be. We can have peace. We can have joy. We can share that good news with others. Did you know the word gospel just means good news? We can share that with others. That a baby was born, and it goes even beyond that. A baby was born to bring us peace, to bring us joy, to release our fears. And it's not just some fictional tale that Charles Dickens wrote about a guy named Scrooge. It is a reality in our own life. And here is how it happens. First, Christmas will change our world by allowing us to experience genuine love. Genuine love. I mean, that word love gets thrown around a whole, whole lot nowadays. But we get to experience genuine love because of Christmas. Because a baby was born. A baby who is God's son, who stepped out of heaven to put on the flesh for us. Let me let you in on a little secret here. God is love. The Bible tells us that. Not that God only loved. He, the Bible tells us that too. But he is the definition of love. Check out what it says here in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, when John says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who, love, uh, who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. At Christmas time, we get to celebrate the fact that God is love. That God sent down his son, Jesus. Put him in flesh. We sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it talks about the incarnate deity. The incarnate deity. A deity is a supreme, supernatural being. That is incarnate. Incarnate means incarnate. And for those of you who are really getting excited about your Mexican Christmas dinner, that's all about meat. It is, it is God in meat. God in the flesh. That is what we're singing about when we sing about Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. The incarnate deity pleases man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Jesus with us. He stepped down. We get to experience genuine love because God loved us so much that he would send his son. 
Look at what John 1 says. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you skip down to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Father from the, uh, only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why did God send His Son? Why did God send His Son? It says because He came to show us the way. John 3.16 says He sent His Son because He loved this world that much. Because He loved you and I that much. And that is what Christmas is about. See, one of my favorite stories of Christmas is a story that Paul Harvey tells. Maybe you've heard it before if you were with us. I think I've done it just about every Christmas that I can think of. But it always takes me back to when I got to ride in the truck with my grandpa. And we'd either be going out hunting or going out doing something. He was making me do some sort of work because I wasn't allowed to just sit around and play video games. And he was like, hey, let's go. And Paul Harvey would always be on the radio at noon. And it's about the same time we would go. And I remember hearing this story, and Paul Harvey always kind of brings it back around. But I'd like for you to listen to it with me if you would. Would you play that for me, Corey? The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men. But he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Now, shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first, he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm in a desperate search for shelter. They had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So... He remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn, he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm-lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. 
To him he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them. But how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now, if I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them, wouldn't I? So they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears. Above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells. Adeste Fidelis. Listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. Paul Harvey, I hope for you and those you love, this will be a wonderfully merry Christmas. That's what Christmas is. Jesus stepping down to show us the way, to show us that he loves us, to show us that we should not be afraid, to let the fears go. In Christmas, we get to experience genuine love. Because who would give up heaven for this, for us, without loving us? And I look at that, and I think about that, and I think about it. the first time I heard that story, I remember sitting with my grandfather, and just like it all clicked and all made sense of why God would step down out of heaven onto earth. It's because he loves us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We know that verse pretty well, but 17 is one I think we should also know. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God sent and sacrificed his Son for us, not to condemn us, but because he is love. He shows amazing love. But here's the question. How is knowing about that love going to change my world? Can I give you a little hint on the answer? Knowing doesn't change anything. Knowing doesn't change everything. Because guess what? There are people that may be sitting in here right now, people sitting in churches all over. They're part of that 2% that got pressured into going to church on that Sunday or going to church on Christmas Eve or going to church on Christmas Day. And they're part of that 2%. And they hear all the news. They hear all the things they're doing. They hear it in the songs, the songs that are played all throughout secular radio and mainstream things and as well as in the malls and all that stuff. You hear all the songs about baby Jesus. You can know all you want. I mean, even Talladega Nights praised to baby Jesus in the middle of it all. I mean, when you really stop and think about it, people know about Jesus, but that's not going to change their world. 
It's application of that knowledge. It's experiencing. It's allowing it to come into and believe in and trust in it. That knowledge that you have. Christmas changes me as I allow that love to be experienced. Not just know about it. But the second thing it does too is not just showing that genuine love and experience. It also gives me and provides me with an everlasting peace. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. When I think Christmas, I know I'm supposed to think peace. I know I'm supposed to light a candle that says, yeah, that's the peace candle for this week. But rarely does Christmas and peace go hand in hand. I grew up in a family that Christmas Day was fun, but dysfunctionally fun. It was crazy, nutty, everybody was loud and obnoxious, not a lot of peace going on. And that's how we celebrated. That, that is how I grew up with it all. But see, what it is supposed to be doing is, is Christmas is supposed to be bringing us peace. Peace is something I think we all want. I mean, there are people who spend lots of time and money and energy to find peace. They go to retreats. They go to massage places. They go whatever it takes. They're looking for that peace. They invest in essential oils. Whatever it takes to give them peace. They're looking for fulfillment. They're looking for all of the things that the peace is going to, to bring in us. And in all of it, they, they're looking for it. They don't have it. And because they don't have it, they stress and they worry about it more, which causes less peace. And it's kind of like this snowball effect at all. I mean, think about Scrooge. Scrooge was the way he was because we looked at his past. We looked at all the things that haunt him, all the would-have-beens and should-have-beens and could-have-beens. And then we looked at our own life and that same thing when we looked at the past. What could-have-been, what would-have-been, what should-have-been. And we begin to let that cause all the heartache we have. And we begin to focus on that because we wanted to be fulfilled, but we were not. We wanted to be satisfied, but we were not. We want to be complete, but we're not. And that causes stress. That causes a lack of of peace. And the reason why is because we're looking for fulfillment, we're looking for satisfaction, and we're looking for completeness in the wrong place. See, Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 says, in him we are made complete. In Christ we are made complete, not in anything else. I mean, what are the things we look for for Christmas to change our world to bring us that peace? Is it the next gift? Is it giving the next gift? Is it hanging out with family? Is it, I mean, those aren't the things that are going to ultimately bring us everlasting peace. It might bring us peace for a moment, but that peace will fade. It might bring us fulfillment for a moment, but that fulfillment's going to fade. It might bring us completeness for a moment, but that completeness is going to fade. In Him is where we are made complete. And we have to realize that. When we realize it and accept the fact that this world will not satisfy and Christ is it, we will then experience peace. In what areas will we experience peace? Well, first, we're going to experience peace with God. We're going to experience peace with God. See, Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has made a way. That baby born in a barn, in a manger, in the, the, the winter night or whatever time it was, you know, we celebrated at Christmas, but there's lots of calendars to say otherwise. But it, as we look at that, what did he come for? He came to reconcile us to God because we were at odds with God. We were enemies of God is what Romans tells us. Just a little bit later, Romans 5, 8, it says that while we were still sinners, while we were still far from God, while we were still separated from him, that's the issue. He came to bring us peace. 
And we know that we can't be at peace with God without him. Because when we really look at our lives, man, we've, we've messed up. We've sinned. We've done things that, that we feel as if he is going to hate us for, that he is going to condemn us for. And, and, and sin in our lives is a reason for that condemnation. The great thing is, is that Jesus came to wash our sins away. That when God looks at us, he sees no sin. All of our sin is erased from his mind. Isn't that an amazing thought? I mean, imagine that in your life right now. We know we sin. We know we have issues. We know we have problems. Imagine just for a second a life with no sin. That's what God sees in you. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we have peace with him. See, the story doesn't stop on Christmas Day. The story continues as he grows up, as he lives that sinless life, as he teaches, as he walks this earth, as he shows us the way, and then he goes to the cross. He dies upon that cross as a sacrificial lamb for us, but not just dies, he also raises again from the dead. That is the story we celebrate at Christmas. That is how it brings us peace with God. But not only does it bring us peace with God, it also brings us peace with others. Well, how does Christmas bring us peace with others? Well, it's pretty simple. Because we understand that we're at peace with God, not because of anything we've done, but because he's forgiven us, we can be at peace with others, not because of anything they've done, but because we can forgive them. We can say, man, I am all sorts of messed up, and God still loves me. And we can look at our family members and go, they are definitely all sorts of messed up, but God still loves them, and I should love them the same way. Because that's what he's commanded us to do. I mean, if you look at Romans chapter 12, 18, it says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Romans 14, 19 says, so then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. We can have that through Christ. We can't do it on our own, but we can have it through Christ. Because that Christmas that we celebrate, the birth that he came, lived, died, and rose again, it brings us peace with God, therefore it brings us peace with others. But here's the last thing we can remember. It also brings us peace with ourselves. I mean, how many different religions try and really get you to be at peace with yourself and do the, the meditation and, and finding nirvana and all the weird jazz that they have out there, trying to do these things to empty your head completely? Has anybody ever been here empty-headed? I mean, completely. I mean, other than somebody calling you that. Um, have we ever had the place where we've experienced that? No, because you can't do it on your own. When Christ came, we're able to experience peace because we understand what 2 Corinthians 5 17 says, therefore, if anyone is found in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what it tells us. That the, the, the old is gone. I beat myself up all the time about how I fail. Maybe you do the same thing. But the beautiful thing is, is when Christ comes into our life, yes, we may still fail, but that is now going to be the exception and not the rule. That he has forgiven us, that he is walking in us, that he is maturing us, that he is changing us, that he is growing us. And we can be at peace with the fact that he is sanctifying us for the day that we get to stand before his father, our father. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? We have peace with God. We have peace with others. We have peace with ourselves because of Christmas. And here's the other thing that really brings us. As we look at the fact that, that Christmas gives us that genuine love, that Christmas gives us that everlasting peace. But Christmas also gives our life a purpose. You know what I've found more and more, uh, A, being in ministry, B, doing uh, chaplain work, is that suicides go up exponentially during the holiday season. You know why that is? It's hopelessness. 
It's hopelessness. But Jesus, when he came, when he lived, when he died, and when he rose again, he gave me hope. He gave me a purpose in my life. He gave me a purpose to make much of Jesus. We talked about it last week. So often in our lives, we just coast. So often in our lives, we just exist. So often in our lives, we are just moving through the motions day to day without any purpose in our lives. And that lack of purpose leads truly to hopelessness. Because we're like, what am I even here for? And and all the other things weigh down on us. And, And you know, Christmas, it really is about hope and purpose. And not feeling defeated during the holidays, but getting to celebrate the life that we have because of Christmas, because the day we celebrate Christ's birth, the day we celebrate God sending His Son and putting on flesh. Christmas brings hope because it drives home the fact that I was made for a purpose, and that is to worship God. I couldn't do it on my own because there was stuff between us. Christ wiped away that stuff between us. And that's an awesome thing. That's an awesome thing. See, my life has purpose, and my purpose is to love God and to serve man. You know, William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, he actually said these words. We are to serve with a heart to God and a hand to man. That's our purpose, to make much of Jesus, to to understand that he has saved me, that he is changing me, and that he is using me for his glory and his honor. Jesus, full of grace and truth, as it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, full of grace and truth, sent from the Father. He came to be one of us to pay for our sins, to redeem me, to change me, and to use me for his glory and his honor. Imagine every day of your life living with a clear purpose. That's what he came for, to give us a clear purpose to live for him. Starting in two weeks, we are going to dive into Engage. We're going to dive into the idea of engaging with God, engaging in worship, engaging in serving, engaging in community, engaging in growing, and engaging in sharing and being a part of the culture. Engage to connect, to be a part of, not just to to exist, not just to go through the motions, but this is what he came for. The thing is, we have to start back at that foundation. The foundation is, is this. The purpose of God's co- or God sending His Son is so that we could know Him and make Him known. That is what we have to do. That is where it starts at. And at Christmas, Jesus provided us a way to know God. He's given us hope and a purpose to make Him known. How does that change my world? How does Christmas change my world? It's not through the gifts. It's not through the family. It's not through the songs. It's not through any of the things that, that make it nice. And those are all good things. But what changes my world is the fact that Jesus came. He came. He changed his world and all the people that were around him, and he's changing our world currently, our own personal world. And guess what? We have the ability to go out and share that. We get to have the ability to go and share the fact that he's allowed us to experience genuine love, that he has provided us with everlasting peace, and that he's given my life a purpose. That is the good news, the good news that we are to share to go and teach, to go and let people know about it. That's a major change in my world. I pray that Christmas changes your world too. It's only going to happen if you allow Christ to be the reason that we celebrate. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do and the way you speak to us. Thank you for sending your son in flesh to show us the way. Thank you for showing us the truth and the purpose of our creation, that we're not just here to consume, but we're here 
to make much of you. We're here to have a relationship with you. We're here to experience your love. We're here to have the peace that this world cannot offer. We're here to be able to have a purpose once again to lift you up. God, we are so grateful for that. But oftentimes in the Christmas season and every 11 months that surround it, we forget it. We get so caught up in the things of the world that we forget what we're actually here for. Help us today to begin to engage, to engage with you, to engage with each other in a community here at the church, to engage in worship, to engage in giving of ourselves, to engage in serving, to engage in sharing with others, to engage that culture. There's a culture that surrounds us that is without hope. That on December 26th, it's just going to be going back to the same old routine. But God, you've changed our December 26th and every other day after because of what we celebrate on December 25th. We celebrate the birth of Christ. Not just the birth, but the life, the death, and the burial, and the resurrection. God, we're grateful for what you've given us. May we live that out. We pray in your name. Amen.